This is the Brojo Online Podcast. Today we're going to talk about a concept of you already being there. This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity. And I want to start by showing you a little video from one of my favorite comedic movies. So the scene is two guys in prison, a guy's in a prison cell for the first time in his life. He's just been locked in with another hardened prisoner. This is their conversation. I just want you to check this out. So now what are we doing? Hmm? What do you mean? What do you mean? I mean, what are we, what are we supposed to do? We're doing it, man. This is it. We're right in the thick of the action. We hang out here, go to lunch, come back, hang out some more, go to dinner. You know how someone might describe a situation that's unpleasant or confining as being like a prison? Here's what they were referring to. That was a scene from Let's Go to Prison. And... What I love about it is, here's this guy, he's gone to prison for the first time, he's saying, what are we supposed to do? And the other guy's like, we're doing it. Right in the thick of the action. This is the concept I want to talk about today. This idea that wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, whoever you are right now, in this very moment, you're there. You're right in the thick of the action. There's nowhere else to be. And most of the pain that you have in your life, is from not accepting that, from not going, I'm here. As simple as that sounds. Most of us are living in the past or the future, in our heads, while the present moment is right there, ready to be engaged with. And this might sound like classic old philosophy horseshit, but despite the fact that this message is put out all the time, this kind of idea of presence, of being here, very few people seem to be able to achieve it. And I think it's because it's often put out in this kind of spiritual woo-woo way rather than a practically applicable way. But that that scene perfectly demonstrates it. You know, you've got this guy yearning for something other than being in a prison cell, and that's why he's suffering. You know, you can see him there agitated, and as the scene plays out, you know, the rest of the movie plays out, he's very agitated by being in prison. Whereas the other guy, a hardened prisoner, who's had a lot of experience being in a prison cell, He's not agitated at all. He's fine. He's flipping through magazines, joking around, just chilling because he knows there's nowhere else to be. He's he's full acceptance of that moment. And that's what I want to try and help you achieve today, if I can. Give you some guidance, advice, rant about it. Let's see how we go. Bearing in mind that I'm also a hypocrite. I struggle with this myself. So I'm kind of talking to myself as I talk to whoever's listening. Let's start with a bit of definition around the past, the future, the present. Because of a thing called the arrow of time, a physics concept, when the Big Bang supposedly happened and the universe expanded, that that expanding motion is time. And it goes in one direction, it goes out from the center, if there is such a thing. And it only goes in that one direction there is no backwards, there is no past, there is just this forward momentum, always. So, it's important to go back to the basics and ask yourself, 
what is the past? If time is always going forward, what's the past? Because there's one thing that it's not. It's not a location. You cannot find it on a map. You cannot get there in any way. And if you have to come to definitions, if the thing doesn't have a location, if it cannot be found, then by definition it does not exist. The past does not exist. Memories exist, but they are actually a little movie that plays inside your head in the present moment. It's not like you have this kind of time warp in your head where your brain reaches back into some destination in the past and brings forward information. That's not what a memory is. A memory is, in fact, a recreation of what you think happened. But it's a recreation right here and now. Memory is very unreliable. Very unreliable. Eyewitness testimony studies show that people trying to remember, you know, even the skin color of the guy who committed the crime, they get it wrong more than they get it right. You're, you can flip a coin and be more accurate than people's memories when it comes to especially emotional moments. And that's because they're not actually recalling the event. They're not going back to the past and going, that's what happened. They're making up what happened now. It's essentially the most sort of unsophisticated way I can explain memories. It's a representation now of what you imagine happened in the past. Except the past doesn't exist. As stupid as it kind of sounds to go on about, it's important to know whenever you're thinking, I wish I had done this, I wish I had been this, if only that hadn't happened. What are you talking about? Because you're not talking about something that exists. That's the key to, I'm trying to point out here. When you regret, oh, you know, last week I did this thing. Well, point to last week then, you know. Put a pin on a map and say, that's where last week is. Now you can, I suppose you can flip back a calendar and say it's there, but what you're showing me is a page in the present moment that just has numbers written on it. There is no actual proof of the past there, in a sense. Now, there's evidence that things have come before us, the kind of scars and wounds left by previous actions. You know, we find the bones of dinosaurs, for example, and we can't find any dinosaurs around, so they must have been before. But before is now. The dinosaur bones are being discovered and are existing now. We haven't time-traveled to pick them up. They're here with us now. There's a movie by Stephen King, very old one, uh, called Langoliers. And it's this idea that these kind of furry, round chainsaw creatures come and eat up the past and make it disappear into the void kind of thing. And that's kind of what I try to keep in mind, is that the past has been destroyed. It no longer exists. The Time has moved away from it so that it no longer has an existence. Time carries all destinations with it, all locations with it. And so anything that was before no longer has a location. And no one kind of going on here. But this is to help you question any time that you spend reminiscing, dwelling in the past. You're making stuff up now. You're not going back in time. You're just making up stuff in your head now. It'd be no different to just fantasizing about something random. Absolutely no different at all. And given how unreliable memory is, you're not actually thinking of a thing that happened. You're recreating. It's kind of like you took a book and you turned it into a movie. But you don't know if the characters look right. You don't know if that's what the author was intending. You had to cut bits out. You had to change bits to make it movie-worthy. Essentially, it ends up being almost nothing like the book, really, a lot of the time. That's what a memory is. 
And that's all the past really is to us, is memories that we experience right here and now. That's the past. The future is, if anything, even more fictional than the past. The idea that we're promised tomorrow is absolutely a fiction. And so anytime you're thinking like, I hope one day, or I wish I was something in the future, or, you know, dreaming of achieving something later on, of becoming something later on, you know, one day I'll be the man I always wanted to be. Again, you're just making stuff up. There is no future. And it's almost guaranteed to not go the way you think it's going to go or hope it's going to go. There's so many variables involved, like... Your life is affected by everything else on this planet because there is no vacuum in this planet. Every time a particle moves, it bumps into other particles. There's this ripple out, chaos effect, where if a mouse farts in France, somebody in Germany is more likely to get depression. Like That's the knock-on domino effect. So the idea that you can create plans and the universe will just get out of your way and let them happen is ludicrous. You're going to have literally trillions upon trillions of variables having an influence on those plans. For you to be strong enough to be able to bat away all of those, to be able to predict them accurately and stop them from happening or stop them from interfering, ridiculous. You can think of very simple examples like somebody who plans to make a million dollars, but then they get lung cancer. Was there any way they could stop that from happening? No. Down to the more specific examples today, you're like, I'm going to get to work on time. But there's unexpected traffic. That kind of stuff happens all the time, nanosecond by nanosecond, to the point where planning for the future is really just a kind of mental masturbation. It never works out that way. You think of something you thought of 10 years ago, you know, you kind of imagined a future for yourself now, 10 years ago. How right were you? And I don't mean the big picture things like, oh yeah, I am married and got kids. But the details, do you look exactly like you thought you would look? Do you live exactly where you thought you would live? Is your job exactly what you thought you'd be doing? Is the person you married exactly the kind of partner you predicted? No, when you get down to details, you're actually dead wrong, like 99% wrong. You're lucky if you get even like the big ticket items correct. So the past is an illusion, a creation based on memories, based on memories, but not actually based on the past. And the future is just an imaginary fantasy, made up based on the idea that we have actually some sort of fucking control over the world, which we absolutely do not. The reason I spend way too much time talking about that is because most people miss out on life. They miss out on the actual experience of here and now, of being who they are here and now, and enjoying that, because they're looking back or they're looking forward at these fictions that don't exist. Think about something. I want you to think about the difference between wanting food and actually being hungry. Think about the difference. Now, as far as we know, on average, a human being who's in reasonable health can survive up to three weeks without any food at all. There's this kind of 3-3-3 thing. You can go, uh, was it three, three days without water, I think three weeks without food, and three months without shelter, something like that. Anyway. Three weeks without food. We'll say two weeks if you want to be conservative. Yet how many times per day do you say to yourself in some way, I'm hungry? That's not actually true. 
Most people actually graze like herd animals all day long. They're constantly shoveling food into their mouth. Guilty, right? And I constantly think of myself as being hungry. But actually, I've tried this before. It takes a few days for me to genuinely have hunger sensations. A few days without food. To actually be like, this hurts in my stomach. My body requires nutrition. The reason I bring that up, the idea that you aren't what you want to be, that you're not where you should be, is the equivalent to like wanting food. It's what looks like a need that should be fulfilled, but actually isn't. I hope that makes sense. It's a weird analogy I'm using, I know, but that idea of wanting food doesn't mean you actually need food, so you don't need to eat. Well, wanting to be someone different doesn't actually mean you need to be someone different, so you don't actually need to do anything about it. Give you an example, I might uh, look in the mirror and I don't like my hairstyle. I'm using a very superficial example just to kind of rein this in. I think, God, you know, I really need to cut my hair. That's not true. I don't. If I don't cut my hair, you know what happens? Nothing at all beyond my own internal suffering because of the story I tell myself about my hair. It would be a very rare circumstance in my life where the length of my hair had a significant impact on my day in some sort of objective way, where even if I felt good, it ruined my day. It, maybe if I got caught in some farm machinery because it was too long, maybe. Something like that would be required for long hair to actually be a relevant factor in my life to be worth considering. And yet, how many people worry about their hair every single morning, every single day, all throughout the day? How many bald guys go, oh, fuck, I wish I could grow my hair, without realizing you don't need hair to have a good life? Plenty of bald guys out there living just fine. Hair is not statistically significant in any way. And as we'll talk about later, in terms of you living with integrity and being a confident person, hair matters not at all. But you get a hunger, don't you? Like, I've got to get my hair sorted out, or whatever else it is. I've got to pay my bills on time, or, you know, I've got to make people like me. There's all these things, these hungers you have, and yet you're not actually starving. Your body doesn't need what you think you want. Just like when you feel hungry during the day, you're not actually requiring food. It's just a, a kind of lie that your brain is telling you based on probably boredom, sadness, some other emotion that you don't want to deal with. It's emotional eating that you're doing. It's not actually nutrition for your body. You know, uh, the top general managing the United States Army in, I think, Afghanistan, though this might be out-of-date information, he has one meal a day, and he runs, like, 10 kilometers a day. Plus all the other shit he does, probably works fucking 23 hours a day or something. One meal a day. If he can go on one meal a day, a fully trained athlete, fucking old dude, too. How much food do you really need? Well, if a bald guy can go and live a great life, how much hair do you really need? And so on. This is the kind of idea I want to put in your head. A lot of the things that you tell yourself, I'm incomplete, I'm not there yet, I've got stuff that needs to be done before I can be happy with myself. You're telling yourself you're hungry when you don't even need food. That's what I'm trying to get across here. There's very few things you actually need to do to have a good life. But you're telling yourself there's this massive fucking list. If the list is incomplete, then you, where you currently are, isn't good enough for you. And that's what I'm talking about here. When you think of yourself as, I'm not good enough yet. You know, I'm incomplete. Something that's kind of like, I'm not there where I'm supposed to be yet. 
What the fuck do you even mean? Have you ever thought about that? Like, what do you mean? Now, you have your immediate answer, like, oh, I've got to be a millionaire first. Then what? How does that change you? What does it mean to not be a millionaire? Like, point to the the hole that exists. Right, you're born with no money at all, and yet here you are, so you seem to get through that all right. So somebody says something like, I'm not a millionaire yet, then, then I'll be complete. Or words to that effect. If you stop in that moment and go, okay, so point to the damage done by me not being a millionaire right now. Is there like a, an actual hole in your stomach that I could see through, you know? Are you missing a leg because of it? You know, is there something really horrendous happening to you that's only solved by being a millionaire? Or did you just tell yourself that you need that and that made you hungry? But actually you've never needed it. Now where is the gap? Where's the hole? Where's the vacuum? Where's the missing bit? Point to it right now. When you look at yourself and you say, I'm not good enough yet, point to the bit that's not good enough. Prove to me, an objective observer, that you're going to die in the next second unless this thing's changed. Because here's the truth. Except for very rare moments in your life, you're fine. The suffering you have is from thinking that you're not. You take away that thinking, and you're fine. You, know, you say you take a say somebody who's overweight, and they look in the mirror, oh, fuck, I'm too fat. If you take away that thinking, fuck, I'm too fat, and they just go for a walk, they're fine. Whenever they're not thinking about it, they're fine. There is no gap. I mean, if we go back to physics, we're talking about the arrow of time. Now we can talk about some Newtonian laws, perhaps, but. All matter is accounted for, especially within our environments, you know, within the, uh, what do you call the, the roof that keeps the space out, right? Every particle touches every other particle sort of thing, so you're already complete. There's nothing in, nothing out. There's no gaps here. You're not just walking down the street and fall into a vacuum. Like, everything is sorted. Everything's taking up exactly the amount of space it can take up. Everything's exactly where it can be. It can't be anywhere else. Now you think about it. You didn't choose where you were born. So from that moment on, navigation around the globe, everywhere you ended up being, required there to be space for you to enter sort of thing. Like for me to get on a plane to go to the United States, there had to be a seat available on that plane. And I had to come from New Zealand to get to the United States. And the borders had to be open and so on. Uh, none of that's under my control. The point of that is everything's full. Everything, it's really hard to describe, actually. When somebody says they're incomplete, they can't point to the bit that's missing. That's what I'm saying. Even if there's literally a bit missing, like you're missing a leg, well, there's no space available for that leg. It's gone now. So that leg is as long as it's ever going to be. Sure, you can add a prosthetic, but then it's a leg plus a prosthetic, and that's just where you're at. Am I making sense? I don't even know. Then there's an even more fucked up concept. Even the present moment is actually delayed. It's nanoseconds we're talking about, too small to even see with the eye kind of thing, but your experience of the world is very slightly delayed. Right? There's electrical signals going from outside stimulation to inside brain interpretation, and that takes a very, very small amount of time. 
But it does take, it's not instantaneous, there is no instantaneous. Even something moving the speed of light is still taking some amount of time. Which means you're actually watching your life kind of just behind it. You're witnessing it just after it occurs. And that is absolute fact. Which means, how could you possibly be in control of it if you're behind? If by the time you go to do something, it's already done. You're witnessing your life roll out in front of you. You're not controlling it. It is like a movie that you're watching. Right Now the movie's being written right before you watch it, but still before. So this pressure you put on yourself to change the movie is like putting yourself under pressure to change the past. You can't. It's done already. And you can see this with obvious examples. You turn in a corner with your car, pull out onto a road, and oh fuck, there's traffic. And now you can't get out of the traffic. You're in it now. But you didn't realize you're in traffic until you got into it. It's already too late. Well, that that's very symbolic of life. By the time a situation happens, you already have it. Think of like having an emotion. People always talk about trying to control their emotions. But emotions occur to you. By the time you realize you're angry, you're already angry because anger showed up before your realization did. It's like trying to stop thoughts popping into your mind. How can you stop a thought that's already arrived? Right? You don't really have control over any of these variables. And you put pressure onto yourself to control your emotions, to not feel certain things, not think certain things. You can't stop it. You can watch it happen. It's watching the car crash happen. It's already done. There's a momentum, this arrow of time, a momentum to life that you can only witness. You can't do anything about it. You can't stop it. And like the Stoics say, you can either kind of struggle against it, which is like a dog being pulled behind a cart, or you can run alongside the cart, go with it, which is something I'll be talking about today, essentially. So if the past doesn't exist, and the future is just a lie you tell yourself, and the present is a movie that you're watching, then really, out of all of this, the only thing you have any real say over is your current behavior. That's it. I had a little uh, tantrum yesterday. Long story short, I just lost control very briefly of my anger. Do you know how much I can do about that today? Nothing. Nothing at all. And future episodes of me lashing out with anger, can't do anything about those either. I don't know when they're going to happen. I don't know how they'll happen. If they do happen, it will be a surprise because I'm trying not to do that. But like yesterday, the little tantrum just sort of snuck past the gate and just got out. I just said something. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, fuck. I wish I hadn't said that. It just slipped down. I watched it happen. It was already, or by the time it was out, it was already too late. I can't go like, rip, and suck it back in. It was done. It was said. So what I can have some say over, very little, but some say over, is whether I continue doing what I'm doing right now. So right now I'm speaking this sentence, I'm doing this Twitch live stream thing, I can do a little check-in, is this the right move for me right now? And I can either keep doing it or not. Bear in mind it's delayed, so I have to watch it happen first and then decide if I should keep doing it. But that's about it. And therefore, if that is the only thing I control, and that's the only thing that's real, past is an illusion, future is a fiction. 
present moment is the only thing we know for sure is happening, then it's the only thing that matters. Which means you're already here. There's nowhere else for you to get to. You've arrived. You're in your prison cell. You've got to make the most of it. You're already here. Trying to be someone in the future doesn't matter. You're either going to be that guy now or you're never going to be that guy. Or girl. You're either doing it now or you're not doing it. Those are the only two measurements. Essentially, you're either doing the thing you should be doing or you're doing something else. Right here and now. Doesn't matter. You could live totally massive past of a certain way, but if you, like, let's say you've been a really good person your whole life, but right now you're being a cunt, then you're being a cunt. That's it. That's the only measurement that exists. Your past, there's no fucking brownie points for being good in the past. The past is gone. It doesn't exist. It's just a memory in your head. A skewed memory probably isn't accurate. Certainly won't be what other people think happened. And you can't hope to be good one day. You're either being good now or you're not. That's it. By your own standards. So outcomes are meaningless because we don't control anything. You know, Jeff Bezos just traveled to space. He's like, that's a big outcome. But the employees of fucking Amazon are essentially slaves. They can't even go for a piss. So that's his current behavior. His current behavior is choosing to fly a spaceship rather than taking care of his employees. That's all that matters. I don't care if he built Amazon from a garage. I don't care if one day he'll be a humanitarian. Right now, he's a cunt, by my standards. And he can change that in the next nanosecond. And if he does, then I can't call him that anymore. And if he suddenly goes, you know what, that was fun, but now I'm going to redirect my resources to making sure the people who work for me actually enjoy their lives, I'd be like, well, now he's not a cunt. And that's all that matters. You know, Jared from Subway, super famous. Think that's a good outcome? Turned out to be a pedophile. Doesn't matter that he's famous, does it? That didn't pay out. He doesn't get credit for that. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you have completely unknown people who don't meet your criteria for success or fame or wealth of any kind. Poor people. But they've been incredible fathers. right? And right now they're teaching their daughter to live a certain way that's going to benefit her for the rest of their life. So who's better, that guy, that unknown guy with no outcomes that you would approve of, being a good father right here and now? Or Jeff Bezos flying a massive dong into space to satisfy his own ego or whatever reason he's doing it? Who's actually here and now doing the right thing? Just by your own personal standards. Obviously you can hear my bias coming through, but you can think of these examples like there might be someone you really admire and then they do like one cunt move and you're like, Ah, I'm going to let it slide because they've been so good. No. That move counts until they change it back, until they go back to being good. That's what they're doing right now. That's who they are right now. That's all they are right now. I'll tell you another story. I've told this one before. So I used to work for the Department of Corrections. I used to be a probation officer for some fairly uh, dangerous people. One such guy was in the Black Power Gang, and uh, he was one of their kind of violent guys. He was a hitman, and uh, he had basically spent his entire life hurting people. And he wasn't hurting people for the gang, he was hurting his own family, you know, a lot of domestic violence and such, or hurting himself. Self-harm, drug abuse, he's got brain damage from being in fights and so on. Basically, the way he put it, he's, he's never ever done anything good with his life. 
Now, it's getting on a bit, and <clears throat> as a lot of unfortunate people in gangs find out, is once you don't really earn much money, you really aren't much used to them, and the whole family thing falls apart, and they just basically put you out to pasture because they never cared about you anyway. It's the truth of gangs. Well, that happened to him, and he was kind of lost, and now he had to face the fact that he had done all the shit for people who don't even respect him, and he's kind of thrown his life away, and he doesn't like who he's been. Long story short, we set him up to go speak to some youth about criminal offending, and trying, like, these were, like, youth offenders who were going down a bad path, and my guys were covered in, like, face tattoos and massive, you know, covered in muscles and scarred up hands. He's a proper gangster thug, and they could respect him, you know. You're not going to listen to me. And he basically told them how it really was. What it was like to spend half his life in prison. And what it was like to be shit on by the gang after you weren't worth anything. And what it was like to look back at a life of just being a bastard all the time. He just told them the truth. And he got through to a few of them. Anyway, after that talk, he was just sort of in awe of himself. And as I think he put it, I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was along the lines of, I think that's the first good thing I've ever done. And what I realized, the insight for me was, in that moment, he was a good person. And that's all he was. His past doesn't even matter. I'm not saying that there hasn't had an effect on people and that that shouldn't be considered, like he's got some reparations to do with his wife and family, so that kind of thing, but that's just opportunities for more good behavior. The reparations themselves will be present moment acts of kindness and compassion and respect and so on. But he's not making up for the past because the past doesn't fucking exist. What he's just doing is being a good person right now. And his memories serve as kind of prompts for ideas on how to be good. Now, if he's been a bastard, he can do the opposite of that. But yeah, that was the thing that stood out to me. I'm like, he is now... Like, in that time when he was talking to those youth, by his own standards, he was being a good person. And that's all he was in that moment. That's the only measurement that matters, that current behavior. Even an evil person can become someone, in a moment, who is valuable and contributing. And then that's all that matters in that moment. And the next moment will be measured separately. So when you think of yourself, like, one day I'll be a good person, like, there's a lot of people making money and they think, you know, one day I'll give back. What you're really saying is, I'm not giving now. And that's the only measurement that matters. So if giving's a value, then you're breaching your values by being self-centered or selfish or whatever it is that you're doing. Or somebody like, one day I'll quit drinking. No, you're an alcoholic now. Are you cool with that? Because that's the only thing you are right now is alcoholic. Until you stop drinking. But then, the moment you put the beer down and go home, you're now a non-drinker until you drink again. So, in the moment that you put it one down, you're being, you know, aligned with your values. You get a win there. It isn't like, well, just because I didn't drink one night doesn't make up for 30 years. Actually, it does. Totally does. I got this concept when I was learning to quit smoking as well. Uh, the book I was reading, uh, Easy Way to Quit Smoking by Alan Carr. Excellent book. He said, you know, you're actually a non-smoker most of the time. Whenever you're not smoking, you're a non-smoker. And he got you to sort of calculate how many hours a day you're a non-smoker. And for me, it was like 23 hours a day or something. I only spent about an hour a day with a cigarette in my hand. I was like, holy shit, I'm almost completely a non-smoker. Just for that one little hour spread out in like four or five minute bits. I was like, the truth is I'm a non-smoker. 
You, you just randomly check in on me at any given point during the day. The most likely thing I'll be doing is not smoking. Even though I called myself a smoker because in those other, you know, that other hour of the day I was smoking. So if every now and then you drop the ball and you do something that breaches your values, well, then just make up for it in the next moment and you're back on track. There's no scoreboard. And that's kind of what I'm getting to here. Because there's another, op- uh, there was a American murder on Netflix. Classic story of guy nice guy syndrome. Long story short, guy's been super nice all his life, and then he murders his whole family. His nice guyness. There's no scoreboard. It's not like okay, you strangled your wife and buried your children alive, but you know for ten years you were pretty decent, so we'll call it even. No, that's not how it works. You're now a murdering psycho, and until you're not that anymore, that's what you're going to be. There's no scoreboard. You're not building up points, either positive or negative. You might look down on yourself for lots of failures and so on and so forth, but they're not being stored anywhere. There's not like a vault full of your failure. If you're just sitting there right here now listening to me talk, then you're on track. You're doing all right. That's all that matters. It doesn't matter what you've been doing before now. It really doesn't. The only thing has any value is that you use the memories to prompt you to think of what your values are and choose good behavior. So say yesterday you skipped the gym and you feel guilty about that, then you get this idea, well, maybe going to the gym is a good behavior for me. So if you're looking for your next idea of what to do, go to the gym. That's about all the past is useful for. But there isn't, like, you're not going to get to the gym and they'll be like, look, so the last 300 days you've only been here for 40. So you're running at, you know, about... 5%. I mean, maybe there is some terrible gym that does that, but the universe isn't doing that. Nobody's tracking this. doesn't matter. You could fail all your life and then succeed, and success is all that happened. Because those failures aren't kept anywhere, other than in your head. And even there, they're not kept accurately. It's amazing how many people say I'm not good enough, or they talk about themselves as being like a loser. And yet again, if you just randomly check on them at any time of the day, they're probably doing whatever they're supposed to be doing relatively well. Eating their breakfast, driving a car, doing their job, talking to a friend. They're not like particularly failing at that by any measure. But they discard all of those memories because, of course, we don't remember things properly. And they just cherry pick the few times they did something that didn't meet their standards. Of which of those moments, most of the time, still nothing bad was happening. Oh, I got rejected by a girl. So? How's that a measure of anything? Maybe she's a lesbian. It doesn't count. If you're like, oh, I stabbed a guy. Okay, that one counts. Right? That one, you breached your values. But you didn't get an outcome you wanted? That's not a breach of your values. That's just bad luck. Right? You can't say bad luck is something you did wrong. Most of what, nearly everything of what happens to you is luck-based. Because there's you, one variable... And then there's the whole rest of the world, trillions of variables, and all of them are having an impact on you. There's a lake sitting still in the middle of Canada somewhere that somehow has an effect on you, even if you're nowhere near it. So how could you even claim credit for a failure? It was you trying to do something against the whole universe. Yeah, you're not going to win that if the universe doesn't want you to, so to speak. Like if the universe variables are wired in such a way that the girl you're about to ask out 
will say no. There's nothing you can do about it. You understand? All you can do is find out. So how can you call that a failure? It was pre-written, predestined. Gambler's fallacy. There's a reason casinos stay in business, and it's because they encourage you to keep playing until you lose, and the games are basically stacked against you. And there's one particular game that really highlights this more than any other, and it's the craps table. So that's the one where they've got the spinny wheel thing, fancy looking, they drop the ball in it and it lands on a number, and you bet on either numbers or the colours, black and red. Now a lot of people think, I'll just go and I'll just bet on red non-stop, and after a long enough time, I'll come out on top. Except, and this is symbolic of casinos, there's the double zeros. The one little stripe, which means it slightly favours the house. So you play long enough, you're actually going to lose, statistically. Now that's not the point. The point is that they usually, in most casinos, they have a little LED display above the craps table that shows like the last sort of 15 to 20 numbers that have come up. And it usually puts them in columns like black and red. So when you look at it visually, it might look like there's a lot of red or a lot of black, or it looks like it's bouncing back and forth. And because our brains do pattern recognition, you'll see that and think that you can use that to guess the next number. What casinos are counting on is you not realizing that the, the craps table doesn't give a shit about that LED display. The previous rolls have no effect on what's, what's going to be rolled next because it always is a reset to zero. Technically, it could roll red a thousand times in a row. That is one of the possibilities. But the craps table doesn't know what came last. It doesn't go like, you know, I've been a bit heavy on red. I'm going to switch it up to black to, you know, balance things out. The table doesn't think at all. It spins, the ball goes on, and it randomly lands. But people lose their money because they look at their ball and they go, fuck, you know what, there's going to be some black coming up. Put me on black. Well, you know, there's been a lot of low numbers, so I'm going to go high now. We do a high number. That's not how it works. It could be low numbers for the rest of time. But this is how people look at themselves. You know, this is that same fallacy. They look at the way they've been living and they think that that's going to extrapolate into the future. No, it's a reset every moment. You could be an absolute cunt all your life and change it right now by just doing one good deed and now you're fresh, clean slate. Right? It doesn't mean that you won't have reparations or consequences from your past behavior, but what it means is the decision as to whether or not you're a good person is back onto good. You're in a green light now. And that's the only thing that happens. You're either on or off with your own principles. And that is the only measurement that exists. There is no scoreboard. There's not... How many times have I been on or off? What's the percentage? None of that is either you're on now or you're off. And if you can keep focused on that, if you keep checking in, honestly, every minute is a good way to do it. Am I on or off? And make adjustments accordingly. Then you can have a good life. But you're going to be distracted by a lot of things that don't matter. Coming back to my example, a client of mine, you know, was talking about not feeling good enough. And I said, well, what are some of the examples? He gave me a couple. One was bad handwriting. And so I asked him, well, which of your values does bad handwriting breach? The answer, of course, is none of them. Bad handwriting is a neutral thing. It's just handwriting, actually. There's no such thing as bad handwriting. It's just what you call bad handwriting, but really it's just lines on a page. Who's to say if it's good or bad? It's like saying art is good or bad. It's totally subjective. 
So he's focused on a quality that doesn't matter. He could have bad handwriting for the rest of his life, and it won't tell you whether or not he's a good person. Right? won't tell you whether or not he's living the way he should be living. But what if he goes and spends a lot of time and energy trying to improve his handwriting instead of working on stuff that's more important, that would actually be a breach of his values. So he's got a value of like responsibility, which means taking care of business. He's fluffing around with handwriting when he's not taking care of his body or he's not managing his finances properly. Then he's actually breaching his values by focusing on the bad handwriting. And this is how a lot of people live. They're constantly trying to like fine-tune and nice up all these various qualities about themselves without asking, does this one actually matter? And usually finding the answer is no. Most of your qualities and behaviors are really unimportant. You know, For example, the way you look doesn't actually say whether or not you're a good person. So if you focus on these and you neglect the ones that do matter, things like honesty, courage, integrity, whatever you think is valuable. Any second spent not focusing on those is spent focusing on something else, being off track. So, I think we'll wrap it up there. But that's my challenge for you over, say, the next week. Set a little reminder, say, on your phone that goes off every, whatever amount of time you can handle, every hour, that says, on or off, question mark. And that's it. And all you do is you check in right here, right now, and that behavior that you're doing and say, is this on or off? If you're not sure, it's probably off. If you look and you go like, yeah, this is what I should be doing right now. I'm on track. Great. Move on. Keep going. And if you're off, change it. But don't keep track. Don't be like, well, I was off three times today and on four, so I guess I'm winning. No, no, no. Just right here and now. That's it. And try to train yourself to make that the only measurement that counts. That, as hard as it is to do, and I still struggle with it, is, I believe, what is essentially the key secret to having a good life. This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity.